Thank you so much, Pastor Sankun, for leading us in our service. Welcome, everyone, and you are still the pioneer batches of those who have joined us in our 5 p.m. service after a long, long time. Do I see rightly that the house lights are a little bit dim? Do I notice from the back that you're already looking a bit sleepy in your body language? That's very, very dangerous, if not fatal, right? So whatever you can do to keep each other awake, please do. Um, can we turn on the lights a little bit? Okay, thank you so much. By God's grace, we are hearing God's Word in what we call Mark's Gospel. There are four Gospels, and the unique and distinctive thing about the Gospels is they are entirely focused on the person and work of Jesus. So, cancel culture has become a very huge thing in our modern-day world. I'm sure you've heard of that term. It's perhaps more prevalent among the younger generation, who we call the millennials. But what on earth is cancel culture? And here's one definition of cancel culture. I think I forgot. All right. And here's one definition. You have it in front of you. When something is cancelled, it is null. It is ended. It is void. It's done. Over. No longer wanted. This sense of cancel is the basic idea behind the slang meaning of cancelling a person. And so very prevalent now, very common, very in thing to cancel a person when they are no longer supported publicly. You think about it, our human history and our human nature is very prone to cancel culture. And as we read Mark's Gospel, the number one person embarking on cancel culture of God <laughs> to cancel a person is really serious enough, damaging enough, traumatic enough, but to cancel God out of your existence, to cancel God out of your experience, to cancel God out of your relationships, to cancel God out of your marriage, to cancel God out of your families, to cancel God out of your life, that's the ultimate insult. And the one leading this cancel culture against God is Satan. And how does he do it? Public figures are said to be cancelled after they've been discovered that they've done something offensive. It involves calling out bad behaviour, boycotting their work, and taking away their platform and power. For two chapters of Mark, Mark chapter 1 and 2, you're first introduced to Jesus. And the stunning thing about Jesus is his unmatched authority given by God. Authority to call disciples and immediately they drop everything to follow him. They leave all their comforts to follow him. Authority to do so many things. He's growing in popularity. But by chapter 3, Jesus' popularity, he's rising in popularity. The religious leaders are losing in popularity. They now plot to kill him. Chapter 3, verse 6. From chapter 3, verse 6 onwards, you could say the cancel culture that Satan embarks on grows. And so from popularity, they start to badmouth Jesus, give him a bad name, call him Beelzebub. They cannot deny that he has authority, but they now question, where does his authority come from? He must be in partnership with Satan. And Jesus says, you must be totally desperate Instead of seeing God at work in me and through me for you, God at work in me and through me for you, you're saying that Satan is working in me and through me to do good to you? Satan is the number one no 
do-gooder, the one evildoer, the number one who is malevolent, not benevolent. And so they stir public opinion against him. And that is why last week in Mark chapter 4, we had the, four, the parables of the souls. The parable of the souls was to teach the original audience if Jesus is sent by God, if he's the son of God, if he's the Messiah, why are there different responses from God's nation to him? God has sent his Messiah, his son, into his, to his people. They must be 100% thumbs up, 100% likes for Jesus. But why is it? And he gives the parable of the souls, the parable of the lamb, the parable of the growing seed, the parable of mustard seed, and basically says, how's your hearing? If you don't make the effort to really hear who I really am, you're going to miss my identity and miss my mission sent by God. And then, if you misunderstand me, your life will be a big miss. You will miss the meaning of life, you'll miss the meaning of eternal life, the offer of eternal life. So I want to ask you as I begin, the lights were a little bit dim about three minutes ago. Did you come here to doze off? I hope not. <laughs> I hope you came here to listen. I hope you came here to listen with the view of obeying God. So how's your hearing? And we'll be saying that one way to understand the gospel is HBO. You hear with all your heart. You believe this with all your heart. And you obey this with all your heart. That's very important. Now with that as the background, Jesus is growing in popularity. Satan is stirring up all sorts of hostility and enmity and lies and half-truths against Satan, against Jesus. And so this is how it begins. Mark chapter 5. You can read this together with me. I'll read the first verse. You can read it responsively. They came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gerasenes. Can you read, please? He lived among the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, even with a chain. So here is Jesus. Important things to take note. Where is he? Geography and location becomes important. This is the first time Jesus is entering Gerasenes, a Gentile area. For four chapters, the record of Jesus, he was with his own people in Hokkien Kakinang, the Israelites, the Jewish folk. Now he crosses over, this lake, it's so huge, they call it a sea. It's now in the country of the Gerasenes. How do you know this is Gentile country? Because they keep pigs, which is a taboo for the Jews, for the Israelites. So what else do we need to know? When he crosses over, he comes face to face with the first Gentile. And the first Gentile is described in this way, for he had been bound with shackles and chains, but he rents the chains apart and he broke the shackles in pieces. No one had the strength to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. So, up to this point in Jesus' life, how many encounters has he had with Satan? His first encounter with Satan began with his own temptation, which tells you that God sent Jesus into this world to do what? 
If I give you 30 seconds to talk to your neighbour, God sent Jesus into this world to do what? To give you peace, to give you jobs, to give you comfort, to, to give you all the things you want in life. No, friends. God sent Jesus into the world firstly to destroy the devil's work. And then you get two more incidences of this. In Mark chapter 1, verse 32, when you see Jesus walking into a Jewish synagogue, a Jewish synagogue, he comes face to face with Satan and in, in an unclean spirit. Then you're going to get the description, the, the sick and the demon-possessed were brought to him. All the sick and demon-possessed, all that is the fingerprints are the fingerprints of Satan's work. Decay, disease and death. God didn't create you only to grow up, grow old and die. He didn't create you that way. He created you for eternal life with Him, which was disrupted when Satan appears. But now in chapter 5, verse 1 to 20, it's up close and personal with Satan. The, the amount, as it were, the quantity of evil that is here in this man has never been encountered before. So Jesus is in Gentile territory and evil reaches its height. It's like the Mount Everest of evil that Jesus meets in this man. So what do you mean that Jesus meets the Mount Everest of evil up to this point? That's why of the four incidences that are here, between chapter 4 verse 35 and the whole of chapter 5, actually is to show that Jesus is Lord and Master over the sea and the waves in chapter 4, verse 35. Here is Lord. He is Lord and Master over the demons. In the next portion, He is Lord and Master over diseases. A woman with a long-term illness is immediately healed by Him. And then He will go on to heal Jairus' daughter. He is Lord and Master over death. But in this particular sermon, I highlight only one. To show you the apex of evil, as in the person and work of Satan, through his partners, the demons and the spirits. So everything's important. Gerasene's Gentile area, an unclean spirit in verse 2, the first Gentile he gospels. Sorry, Gentile, singular. He, this man is the first Gentile Jesus gospels. He tells the good news to. And where do you live? Okay, can, people on the, on, on the left, on the right there, uh, where, where do you live? Can you give me your address? People on the left here, can you give me your address? Where, where do you live? I'm quite sure for everyone who is here, no one will give me your address as I live in the graveyard. That's my address. I live among the tombs. I've told you in my early days when I first started pastoral ministry, I'm always looking for quiet places to have what I call my prayer time, my devotion time. And for a while, I used to go to Mount Vernon, and walk there in the cemetery. A few times I went to Chuachukang Cemetery here in Singapore. Why go to a cemetery? When you walk there, you remind yourself, this is my final destination on earth. No matter where I live, no matter where my address, whether it's HDB or condominium or landed property, in the end, I'm going to be here. For many of us in Singapore, we choose not to be a cemetery. We choose to be cremated. Food for the maggots, your ashes. And so he lives among the tombs. And the word is, he lives in the city of the dead, necropolis, 
Polis is a Greek word. So here in Singapore, what polis do you have? Biopolis, media polis, all the polices is from a Greek word. But there will be no place in Singapore called necropolis. If they set up necropolis, nobody will work there, nobody will live there. This man is the sole resident of necropolis, the city of the dead. What's the next description of this man? You now know the location, you know his address. Now he's describing this man. No one could bind him. Remember Jesus told the account? He says the strong man is Satan. And before Satan can be defeated, he has to, a stronger man must come in and bind him. So no one could bind him. What else do we know? He's bound with chains, verse 4. Which means right now, the whole village, the whole town, all the, the, the thinking, all the best human solutions couldn't hold down this man. No one, all human solutions fail. So they said, he's so strong, right? Let's chain him. Obviously with metal chain, right? Not with a leather thing that you can pull apart, not with a string, not with a rope, but metal chain. Night and day, which means this is his permanent condition. If in the morning you wake up, you got a headache, in the afternoon, you still got a headache. At night, you still got a headache. You probably got something really serious. Maybe a brain cancer. That could be your dangerous permanent condition. This is the man's permanent condition. And his main form of communication seems to be just crying out. My granddaughter is nine months old. Her main form of communication at nine months old is crying out. And we have begun to read, this kind of cry, is it for milk? This, cry, this kind of cry, is it boredom? This kind of cry, what is it for? And sometimes the cry is a bit cheeky, right? Just don't want to sleep, just want to be with us, which is, who doesn't want to be a grandfather like this? Right? But if the grandchild grows up, your children grow up, and at 15 years old, their main form of communication is still crying out, something has gone wrong. Something has gone totally wrong. His demonic communication. He's cutting himself with stones. He's self-destructive. Do you get the picture here? And so a man, a person under Satan, he has an unclean spirit. He's unsound mind. That's what Satan does to you. Makes you mentally bonkers, off-tangent, unsound. And in doing so, you are destructive to self. You are of no use to your family you're destructive to others. You suffer what I call the deformed image of God. And so in that sense, you are uncreated by God, by Satan. So God made you, men and women, in His image. You believe that? You jolly well believe it. The Bible tells you so. You're made in God's image. This man, physically, he's still from far. If you saw him from far with a binoculars, you say, oh, there's a man, there's a man on that island, there's a man on the other side, there's a man. When you arrive there, you are face to face up close with him. He is the outer form of a man, but he behaves like an animal. When Satan works on you, you slowly become deformed, distorted. Finally, the image of God in you is destroyed. You must believe that as a biblical truth that Satan won't be satisfied until he distorts the image of God in you, deforms the image of God in you, debases the image of God in you, and finally destroys the image of God 
in you. Please do not fool around with this being called Satan. He doesn't give you any chances. Four responses to Jesus by this man. Four verbs. He saw Jesus. He ran towards him. Abnormal because his antisocial behaviour was living among the dead. He fell on his knees. This is a strong man acknowledging that Jesus is stronger than him. And he shouted at the top of his voice. The voice of a demon trying to scare Jesus to the voice of a man. I want to ask you, how loud can you shout? How booming can your voice be? I've been blessed by God with a strong voice. You want me to do it? But it's the voice of a man. But the voice of a demon is thunderous, trying to scare the daylights out of you, right? And four demonic strategies versus Satan. What do you want with me? This man with the unclean spirit says to Jesus. You know what's MYOB? He's saying to Jesus, mind your own business. You have come to the wrong place. You shouldn't have come to where I live. You've come to Necropolis. And Necropolis is the work of Satan. The ultimate work of Satan is to kill you. He calls him Jesus, son of the Most High God. We, we saw this earlier. The unclean spirits could recognize him. But Jesus doesn't, affect, doesn't accept their testimony because they are bad witnesses, they are fake witnesses. The title is right. The acknowledgement is right. But the intent is wrong. So Jesus, Son of the Most High God, malicious expose of Jesus, I abjure you. You know the word abjure? This is from the English Standard Version, right? It's an old-fashioned English word, right? So how, when was the last time you used the word, I abjure you, right? So if Mona, my wife, was here, said, I abjure you, Mona. And Mona said, let me Google first. I abjure you, what does he mean? <laughs> It's such an old-fashioned word, as it were. It could go from its lightest meaning, I plead with you, to its strongest degree of meaning, I command you. And if it's, I adjure you, I command you, this is the demon mimicking God. The demon mimicking the exorcist. Because up to this point, it is Jesus abjuring all the spirits. Jesus commanding all the spirits to get lost. Get lost from wrongly possessing human beings made in God's image. So how, you see how Satan and his demons work? They are very good imitators of God. And the Spirit says, do not torment me. The temporary torment of being evicted and the permanent torment of God's judgment. They are afraid, finally, of what God in Jesus can do. You're going to send us out of here? Send me out this man, and finally you're going to judge me. For he was saying to him, come out of the man, you unclean spirit. And Jesus asked him, what is your name? He replied, my name is Legion, for we are many. And he begged him earnestly not to send them out of the country. Now a great herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside. And they begged him saying, send us to the pigs, let us enter them. So he gave them permission, and the unclean spirits came out, entered the pigs, and the herd, numbering about 2,000, rushed down the steep bank into the sea and drowned in the sea. 
Now, what on earth is happening here? What on earth is happening here? At least you know one thing. If they made a Christian movie, they made a movie about the life of Jesus and they featured this event, it would be very hard to, uh, to play out this scene and then show at the end credits, no animals were harmed in the making of this movie. 2,000 pigs got drowned. What's happening here? Jesus says, come out to the demons. Because Satan and his cohort, Satan and his allies are illegal rulers over men and women. Illegitimate rulers over you. The way they control your mind, the way they control your speech, the way they control your feelings, the way they seduce you and tempt you in your relationships. Legion, some estimate 5,000, right? Roman army number. To show the depth of this demon possession, uh, just let me linger there with you. Up to this point, it has been in chapter 1, and the different chapters, it's been one, singular, singular. But now, you look at that 5,000 possessing this man, it boggles our mind. This is the Mount Everest, the peak of evil that Jesus was facing up close and personal. So who can face the peak of evil? Jesus can because he's stronger. And they plead with him not to send them. Don't send us to a place without human beings because like, like the virus, like COVID-19, a virus always needs what? I'm sure you know. Why are you wearing a mask? A virus always needs a host, a human host. And demons always need a host. And demons always find their residence in people. A side point, a smaller point, that demons don't really possess places, they possess people. So if you ask us to come, you move to a new HDB flat, you move to a condominium, can you invite your Bible study leaders, can you invite your pastors to come and do a home blessing? We will do a home blessing. We will. I just did one, right? But it's not the bricks and mortar that I will bless. It's not the colour, bless this pink colour wall, Lord. Bless this bed, right? I do not know who has slept on this bed before, but I want to cast out all the demons from that bed. We bless the people. That's important. The man speaks and Mark uses the singular. When the demon speaks, it's plural, which shows that they are not one. Jesus is facing a whole army of evil ones. So not, Jesus is not encountering one demon, but the whole kingdom of Satan, as it were, residing in one person. It boggles the mind to understand this, but it's true because Jesus is encountering it. The outcome of Jesus' authority. Did you notice? Before the man meets Jesus and after the man meets Jesus, he's totally different. There is before you meet Jesus and find new life in him. And then after you meet Jesus and find new life in him. After he has dispossessed you of Satan's illegitimate rule. The violent man is now sitting at peace. 
Previously, the naked man, in all likelihood, is now well-dressed. The unsound mind is now in his right mind. So if this man was previously, if you haven't noticed by now, no? did you notice something in chapter 5? Chapter 5 has the most detailed description of a character. Up to this point in four chapters, every single character that appeared with Jesus, that Jesus encountered, either a one-word description of him, of them. But here, why does he spend five, six verses describing this man? It describes this man as uncreated by Satan. And now he is recreated by encountering Jesus. And then the response of the people, let me go back there. Response of the people. Okay, I just want to highlight something that I'll probably miss. And people might say to you, as some of my friends lightheartedly said to me when I got converted at 18, 19 years old in Sydney, Australia, I was staying in a hostel, uh, right? And uh, hanging out, and I became a Christian and started going to church. I bought a Bible, different things. Then my, my close circle of friends found out most of them, all of them were not Christians. And they started saying, are you okay, Chris? Are you in your right mind? I thought you were okay, but now you become a Christian. Are you okay? People think that you become a Christian, you lost your mind. You lost your marbles. That's a lie of the devil. When you don't believe in God, when you don't believe in God's Word, when you don't believe in God's Son, you have lost your marbles. You have lost your mind. You are not as mentally on as you think it to be. Your mind is firstly filled with something God never gave you when He designed you. Your mind is filled with pride. Your mind is filled with autonomy and independence, not dependence upon God. That every breath you have comes from God. That everything you have comes from God. When you don't believe in God and His Word and His Son, you are out of line. You are out of your mind. When you come to believe in Jesus, you fall in line. It's very important we get this right. Response of the people. You would think, hey, they should have been more afraid of the man with the unclean spirits, right? But now they're afraid of what Jesus might do. They ask him to leave. Why? Because losing 2,000 pigs is a lot of money. 2,000 pigs, which tells you that money is a huge barrier to discipleship. Money is a huge barrier to believing and following Jesus. So this is Jesus' first entry, first encounter, first foray into Gentile territory, and you find a few things that will stand in the face of Jesus and His offer of salvation. You'll find money standing in the face. So instead of telling Jesus, please stay and heal more people and exercise more demons, they ask Him to leave. And Jesus left. Response of the man, in contrast to the response of the people, begged from leaving him to being with him. Remember? Initially, when he was demon-possessed, mind your own business, what do you have to do with me? Leave me alone. Now, he begs to be with Jesus. That phrase is exactly the same phrase when Jesus calls the disciples. Jesus calls the disciples, the definition of discipleship is 
so that he might be with them and they with him. So when Jesus calls, he says, come, follow me, the title of our series. But now he says to this first convert in the Gentile area, don't follow me. Very strange thing, right? Don't follow me. Why? Go home to your own. This man is healed. This man returns to his family. This man is now returned to normalcy. He resumes a full and fruitful life as God intended. When you encounter Jesus and you are recreated by Jesus, you are now in the image of God. You are useful to self and you are useful to family. When you live without God, without Jesus, you are a danger. You could be there. If I don't know Christ, I could be a danger to Mona as a husband, in my thoughts, in my words, and my deeds. If I don't believe in God, I will be a danger to my son, in my anger, in my impatience, in my judgmentalism. So will you. And this man is now made new by Jesus. He now is welcome home. There's a difference between uncreated by Satan, deformed, distorted, debased by Satan, and recreated by Jesus. And he says, you go around your town, you go around and tell them how much the Lord has done for you. Complete healing, permanent recovery, liberation from Satan. Jesus is the ultimate cancel culture against Satan. But Satan will do his best to cancel Jesus out of your life and my life. Do you know that? Jesus will do his best, I mean, Satan will do his best to cancel Jesus from being part of your life. So what does that have to do with you and me, modern day? He tells this man, you must go and proclaim how much I have done for you. Up to this point, the word proclaim is the Greek word caruso. Up to this point, a few people caruso or caruso. John the Baptist proclaims, Jesus proclaims, now the first Gentile believer also proclaims. The man who could not communicate anything now is empowered by Jesus to communicate the best thing, the good news. From a nightmare, spo nightmare spokesman, get lost, shouting at Jesus to a dream evangelist. The focus in this passage is not so much on mission, it's on Jesus. Who then is this man who can calm the sea and calm the waves? Who then is this man who can drive out demons, 5,000 of them? Who then is this man who can heal diseases, long-term diseases? Who then is this man who can resuscitate someone from the dead? That's the focus. But as you focus on Jesus, we call it Christological, then will come the mission. I met this man. I don't know what you know about him. But this man, he made me clean. And so he goes around carousing, proclaiming. He can't stop. Once you meet Jesus, who has done this to you, you can't stop. The outcome of knowing Jesus is testifying to him. We now exist to show 
and to tell the gospel. Which leads us to ask, if you really, who then is this man? And you say, I've come to know him. I've come to know him. Are you carousing? How to make carousing a lifestyle? How do you make this a lifestyle? So, Devon thinks, we have the testimonies of those coming to be baptised, bringing their children for baptism, they themselves coming forward for baptism, transfers or confirmation, and you would have, you read their testimonies. Each one of them in some small way, when they write their testimony, is pro proclaiming, they're carousing, they're telling how God saved them from their families, from their childhood, from their background, from their schools, from their work, from their lostness in life. And so as we wind this and take the main lessons for us, the need still to be saved by Jesus, to encounter by Jesus, in one sense, to be recreated by Jesus today. Underneath all the material progress we have made, and Singapore is a stunning picture of progress, from third world to second world to first world, and right on top of the first world, we are in top 10, top 5 richest country of the world. But underneath the belly of progress, right, the image of... The, Satan keeps deforming the image of God in different ways. We are, the last time I preached this at our church camp, the OCD capital of the world, per capita, we got more people suffering obsessive compulsive disorder. Where increasingly you just ask the psychologists and psychiatrists, more and more people have a hoarding mentality. Bye 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 store 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 bye 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 store store store. So one of the biggest things now uh, is running storage places. Logistics business is big, <laughs> very big. So that's why I told them in building ARPC at Tengah, right? No storeroom. Because I've lived in church buildings all my life. You build a storeroom, people will give you their second-hand furniture. If you want to give any furniture, give first-hand. Second-hand you keep. Because the Bible tells you, give your first fruits to the Lord. Don't, go, don't give me the five-year-old Ikea, no? Give me the new Italian one you want to give. Then we might use it. Get it right. Mental health issues are exploding from children to adults. You ask the counsellors in school, they can't keep up. You ask the elderly sitting at home, atrophying in their mind, muscles going here, muscles going there. Ask the domestic helpers who look after them. I keep telling Mona, every time I see a domestic helper pushing somebody out there, I say, don't you do that to me, huh? You push. <laughs> if ever I'm stuck in that position. It's so sad, right, that the only people have any time to spend with their parents is the paid domestic helper. I pray with all my heart I wouldn't do that to my mother. When we are able, it is different when they hit a season of life when they're sick. Family breakdowns, virtuality confusing reality, social fragmentation. Do you believe this is happening today? It still is. It still is. And these are all the fingerprints of Satan amongst us. So Ephesians 4, it says this, No longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. 
They're darkened in their understanding. They're alienated from the life of God. Due to the hardness of their heart, they become callous. Callous means hardened. And given themselves to sensuality, greed, to practice every kind of impurity. We can only but summarize here. Here's the idolatry of self instead of the worship of God. When you idolize self, right, you have what we call deformed mental grooves. You know what a groove is? All those who know what a record is, hands up. You know what a record is. That means you are slightly older. Lah. Mature, mature. Right? You heard a record, then you are probably in your 50s or 60s. You're probably a record player. So you buy a record, right? 30 years ago, 40 years ago when I was growing up, you, you play the record, it has a needle. Then the music gets transported from that needle, then it's amplified. Okay? You scratch the record, you scratch, the, you spoil that needle, there's no sound. And what happens is, it, it will go around and around. It's only words, it's only words, it's only words. Then you get so fed up. <laughs> when you live under Satan, you go into a <laughs> satanic mental groove. Darkened minds, hardened hearts. Darkened minds, hardened hearts. All about you, all about you, all about you. Destructive addiction. Given to sensuality, greedy for more. Deforming the image of God in us. Trying to feel good without God. Do you read about the 15-year-old boy? When his father tried to stop him from gaming, got up and stabbed his father in the neck and killed him. Admittedly, he's, he was autistic. He's autistic. But his high-functioning autism. Admittedly, understandably, we've got to give him an allowance for that. But I want to say to you from pastoral experience and your own experience in life, you don't need to suffer an autistic special needs spectrum to know that Endless virtuality is messing up your brain. In what way? Messing up your brain because you're getting the wrong dopamine in, dopamine in the wrong way. You're getting endorphins in the wrong way. You're getting oxytocin in the wrong way, serotonin in the wrong way. All the, you're trying to feel good through your gadgets. You're trying to feel good through the wrong things, all artificial. You feel good when you do it God's way. You feel good when you watch nature. Jesus says, watch the birds of the air. When you look at nature, when you look at the flowers, you don't ever feel high by images on a screen. You live life by a screen, it's going to mess you up mentally, mess you up spiritually, mess you up relationally. And that leads you to deform big time, distorted big time. Trying to feel good in the wrong places, addictive and destructive virtuality, Addictive and destructive sensualities. Addictive and destructive sexualities. You believe that? I believe that with all of my heart. And that's why I'm preaching and praying and pleading with you with all of my heart. This is not a light-hearted thing that you want to take with a pinch of salt in your life. So trying to feel good in the wrong places, die-die, you must have your daily dose of X, Y, Z. What is the X, Y, Z for you? I do not know. Then you become a series of appetites. Today I haven't game enough. Today I haven't watched enough of K-drama. Today I haven't done enough of this. You become impossible to live with when it's endless entertainment. Endless entertainment, but not able to live with people. The best God care? You starve your mind of depraved mental grooves. You feed it with Jesus' new mental grooves. The Word of God changing you. 
the Spirit of God producing in you love and joy and peace and kindness and goodness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things, there is no law. This is what it means to live under Jesus and to live empowered by the Spirit of God. Amen? Vitally important. So either you live with Satan cancel culture of your life, Satan cancelling God and Jesus in your life, or you live under Jesus cancelling Satan and his influence in your life. The choice is very clear. The choice is very clear. And so small steps but big leaps. May God lead you into new Jesus habits, spirit habits. Don't go there to the old habits. The Greek word there is S-A-R-X, the flesh. Go where Jesus wants you to be mentally, where Jesus wants you to be emotionally, where Jesus wants you to be relationally and physically. And habits means you go there again and again and again. It's a habit. What does that mean? Let's say you struggle with unforgiveness. And God says you must forgive. But you keep going back to unforgiveness, unforgiveness, and unforgiveness is killing your heart and killing all the joys of your life. You know you shouldn't go there to unforgiveness. You must go here to Jesus and the cross and forgiveness. Go there. Go to the foot of the cross. Jesus will download forgiveness into your heart. The first time you do it, it doesn't feel right. But you do it. I forgive him. Forgive me my trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. You go there again and again. When will he tell me to unforgiveness? I don't know about you. For me, it's when does he tell me to all the evil things? When I'm about to preach. When I'm preparing my sermon. When I'm about to counsel people. When I'm, sup when I'm supposed to do something for God. The text of the evil one says, you know, he, she wronged you so much. He wronged you so much. Go there. Don't forgive him. Jesus says, go here. Forgive him. Again and again and again. Act towards him in goodwill. Go there again and again. So I've used this illustration quite a few times. Uh, Mona does the cooking. I do the cleaning. As part of trying to keep my 10,000 steps, I'm inspired by my brother-in-law in Japan, my eldest brother-in-law. He's 85 years old. He does 10,000 steps every day, unless the weather is bad. He senses his walks in beautiful Japan, right, through all the seasons, and I'm inspired. So I've been bad this year. I've been hitting 5,000 steps. That's terrible. I'm half his age. I'm not half his three, but I'm half the steps. <laughs> so I'm trying to hit my 10,000 every day. You know what that does? That means when I mop the floor, okay, I try to put the mop and the water as far away from me as possible. So I walk there, I come back. I walk there, I come back. Another 200 steps. Right? I, so I deliberately forget to bring my drink upstairs to my study table. I don't forget. I leave it downstairs so that every 20, 30 minutes, I'll come downstairs and pick up the drink. Or else I'll be 24-7 stuck with the computer. These are physical habits that you build in. You take that to spiritual habits. It's very important, friends. 
you either cancel Satan or Satan cancels you. You must do that. And when you read these testimonies, there's one testimony here of her bad-temperedness before she came to know Christ. And in the bad-temperedness, in my bad-temperedness, my, my quick temper, my screaming, my outburst in which I would throw a knife and furniture and other things, slowly as she read the Word of God, slowly as she came to read the Word of God, it died down with a constant reminder of God's Word. Have you ever been to a family situation in which people throw knives? I've been in a few where I went to counsel this couple, they were fiercely fighting, and then the wife got so fed up, she got up, she went to the kitchen, she came back with a chopper. I sat down there thinking, they didn't teach me this in Bible college. What do I do now? What do I do now? And all I did was sit down. Jesus is watching this whole situation and Jesus can change this whole situation. You believe that? Sit down. Put down that chopper. Because I can't do karate. I didn't say that lah. Bringing Jesus into anything changes everything. Or else I may not be here by now. That's what we want to offer you, friends, friends and sisters in Christ. And so we're going to pray together, sing this closing song. Jesus is nothing less than our cornerstone. Nothing less than our cornerstone. Let's stand. We thank you for your word that speaks the truth to us about the evil one, of how he exists to cancel you in our lives and cancel Jesus in our lives. We pray to have the humility, we pray to have the spiritual discernment and enlightenment to believe in Jesus, to believe in Jesus and his overcoming work. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your servant-heartedness. We thank you for your sacrifice. We thank you for your victory over the evil one. And we pray that in knowing you as our Lord, you will indeed save us, snatch us, from the clutches of the evil one. And we ask all this so that we can complete your mission and, strong, and storm the stronghold of Satan with the glorious gospel as your spirit ministers and delivers people from his darkness. In your mighty name we pray for the Father's glory. Amen.